Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for January 20th, 2019. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening. All right. I'm glad to have you all on, and in about 20 minutes, going to be looking forward to having Kelly Masius again from the Daily Coes. This will be the third time, I believe, that Kelly will have joined us. She's going to talk to us about the future of Stacey Abrams, even though she's not a Georgia resident. She is a huge fan of uh, Stacey Abrams. And then also about some of the new female members of Congress um, that have just taken office in the past few weeks. But until then, we're going to discuss other topics. And wouldn't you know, for about the fifth straight week, the 30th day of the longest government shutdown in our history continues to drag on, and before I get on to any movements in it, I just wanted to ask y'all something I noticed this week. Um, there seemed to be less coverage of this than in weeks prior. Catherine, did you see that? And if so, any ideas why? Oh, I didn't see that at all. I mean, there's all okay. kinds of talk about the airports, and um, yeah, I, I didn't feel that, but it might just be the news that I um, see, I mean, every morning on Good Morning America, they talk about some, some, something regarding the, um, the shutdown, whether it's, you know, workers who can't pay their bills or the TSA um, problems. And it doesn't feel that way to me, but. Well, it was, I, I mean, it's still coverage, oh, but, but like when it really struck me, Um, was the day that, you know, more comments came out about Representative Steve King from Iowa. And, of course, what he said was heinous. But it's like he's been saying this crap for years. Um, And so it's really not new news. And I was just surprised that anything like that could have pushed off the government being shut down. And there were other things I could point to that were political and orientation. I mean, not something that's totally different to get us a break from politics. But that was the one, I guess, that day I was like, you know, that, that was almost the lead story on a few things instead of the shutdown, which surprised me. Um, Tim, did you see anything like that? Well, yeah, uh, kind of. Uh, but, again, it was a, a story or two come along that kind of brushed it aside. Uh, late in the week, all the air in the room was taken up by the uh, uh, Cohen bombshell uh that that was reported by uh, BuzzFeed, and 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 that that w- the the talk shows just honed right in on that because naturally, if it turned out that it all was true, which we we don't know, uh, it, it, you know that that would be the the smoking gun, you know the 
the gun would be lit. So naturally, that was going to push it aside. Uh, and there were a lot of days in the shutdown where there really wasn't nothing to say except, hey, we're shut down because there wasn't any movement. They they weren't talking to each other. There was nothing getting passed in Congress. Uh, and the main thrust of the stories was, you know, like her telling him they wasn't going to have the State of the Union and him telling her and that congressional delegation that they weren't going overseas. So, you know. Uh, there, was, there ain't really that much to report until yesterday. Yeah, which is a sad state of affairs, and and that's um, and we can't even get into that, uh, you know, the Michael Cohen story until later possibly to cover this because I mean obviously if you're someone that depends on this and there are tens of thousands and probably as it goes on hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and may and probably if this keeps going on, are going to reach into the millions of people that are affected in a major way in which it's everything that consumes their lives. Um, the longer this thing goes on and um, it, it just shocks me, um, you know, that there's, it, it's not just the complete and total focus, but I guess maybe that's part of it is there's just no movement. There's, there's nothing uh, budging. Now we have gotten more, you know, polling data to see who's to blame. And so far it's been clearly, Donald Trump, first and foremost, the Republicans in Congress, they really aren't taking near the blame Donald Trump is. But as we know, since he's the leader of their party, they will take the residual blame. Um, Catherine, do you think the continued polling data is going to make some of those Republicans move? I don't know what makes them move. I don't know what moves them away from Trump. I, I mean, I um, I hope so. I, I would think that they would be beginning to be concerned about their political futures and, you know, I mean, I would hope that they would be, they would be concerned about the individuals and groups of people who are affected by this, but that doesn't seem to um, affect them. doesn't seem to have an impact, but um, it seems it, it, it's um, such a political divide that, it almost feels like they don't, they aren't thinking about the individuals who are in, who are being affected by this. They're only thinking about their political futures and their support of Donald Trump. So, I mean, I hope, I hope something makes that change because people are, people are getting hurt. People are, um, this is a major catastrophe for thousands and thousands of people uh, who work for the government. Tim, any ideas what kind of, you know, breaks this cycle, if you will? Hmm. What breaks this cycle? Well, I don't know. Trump tried to break the cycle or or, or thought he was yesterday, didn't he? Did either one of y'all see the speech? I didn't I see did. the speech, but I heard about it. Yes. Uh, it, it was, it was, uh. Well, it was rehashed nonsense, uh, you know, talking about uh, uh, crime coming across the border, drugs pouring across the border. Uh, He's softening his talk on what he calls a wall. Now we're talking about, you know, steel barriers and different things like that. And, uh, uh, 
it, it was a non-starter before it started, so he did he didn't move the goalpost at all. Um, something we were talking about before we went on the air, though. I I, I think the Republicans are going to try something in the Senate to see what they can do. But it's not really a move to actually accomplish something or get a deal. It's a political move to put the pressure on the Democrats in the House. And what I think McConnell will do is try to move some of that stuff Trump mentioned in the Senate and get it passed and send it over to the House. And, of course, when they then vote it down, then they'll scream, see, there, it's the Democrats in the House that's causing this shutdown. And, you know, that's that's about all that's going on right now because, seriously, guys, before before Trump's speech was over, the Democrats had already, leadership yeah. had already rejected it. That That's how lame it was. Tim, when you listen yeah, to the, a, um, can I ask Tim a question? Go when ahead. When you listen to the remarks yeah, sure. yesterday, did you, did you, did it strike you that he did not mention the shutdown at all? Not one word Yeah, about he didn't it? mention, all they made 100,000 people we was talking about just a minute ago that, uh, are not, you know, getting paid. They're suffering. You see them on TV every night, different stories. But he didn't mention them at all. He didn't not mention one, them at not all. Not one mention of the shutdown. Not even not to say this will, this will open the government. Nothing. It was it was yeah. astonishing to me. But, but he certainly uh, made mention of the, quote, radical left. And uh, he, uh, you know, Strategic deployment of physical barriers and uh, uh, on and on and on and on. That just unproven, just totally without fact stuff about, you know, drugs and violent uh, crime and how it would be cut probably in half if they had the wall and it just... Just a rehash of the same old old nonsense, and and offering to partially restore a couple of things that he had eliminated. That that's yeah. his idea of a deal. Oh no, he could. I thought I thought they'd come up with something better than that, but I guess not. Well, yeah, and then therefore the blame's going to continue to be on because he's. He continues to make it about this wall, which is unpopular, seems tone deaf right. to all these other things. The deal was so weak that it wouldn't be anything that would be assumed that you know Democrats would be in any way enticed by. I um, mean, they're going to be much more enticed, if you will, by just the fact that the government is closed and people are hurting than what was offered in um, his big Saturday speech deal, which, of course – he made it such a, you know, I guess a day ahead of time, oh, I'm going to do a big speech, and then it turned out to be nothing. That's going to make him look more inept than the whole thing with, um, you know, I guess you, you can say it was petty, I guess, in some ways, either way, with the State of the Union and then not letting Nancy Pelosi and the congressional delegation fly. But then his wife takes a vacation-type trip on a military plane, which, you know, Donald Trump says we can't afford – the very next day, so that makes him look bad. So, I mean, he's just having so many 
um, faux pas, and you have to wonder who is advising him, who's leading him. I mean, Mick, Mick Mulvaney took over, and um, it's not been any different than when John Kelly was in charge. Well, supposedly, um, supposedly, Trump, Mulvaney, Pence, and Kushner, I believe, was the other one, all sat down and worked this out. Yeah. <laughs> That's who it came from. <laughs> so there we are. Yeah. Well, let's kind of uh, take a little bit of time to do something. You know, let's uh, uh, take, I guess we've got maybe five or ten minutes, to, or five or seven minutes to do this. Um, let's kind of look and say, you know, okay, uh, and Saturday Night Live kind of, I had come up with an idea beforehand, but they had a less, you know, deal or no deal. I mean, what would it take to make a deal? So I'm going to ask each of y'all, and I've got one too, um, if, you know, Donald Trump said, Okay, if you build the wall, I'll do X, and I'm assuming for us these will be major Democratic priorities. If anything, what would something that would at least get your attention to trade off the wall if you were Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, anyone in power if Donald Trump was willing to give you almost anything um, for the wall? Uh, Tim, uh, Tim, what do you think? Okay, now now the ground rules is this is, in a world where Trump acts normally like other presidents <laughs> do, and when he says we got a deal, that really is the deal, and he don't change yeah, it later. You, you have to get saying. Yeah, no, okay, no bait and switch. It has to be a real two-sided uh, thing. A, a, a real deal, man. I tell you what, uh, I, I, I'm gonna precurse this by saying, no way would they agree to anything ever. Because, you know, they were elected in part to stop that wall. So a deal involving the wall, but I'm going to say it would take something massive like, oh, I don't know, socialized medicine or something like that. It, you'd, and, that, I mean, that, that's, that's massive. It, 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 would take, it would take something like that, a complete overhaul of our health care system in this country administered by the Democrats. Yes. And that's, that's I'm thinking along those lines, and I guess you kind of saw my IE, if you will. Um, Catherine, mm-hmm. uh, tell us something. I would say um, whatever the necessary funding it would be for the wall or barrier or whatever they want to call it, double that commitment to uh, sustainable energy and climate change. Uh, Kind of a little bit of making, you know, serious consideration of, you know, the possibilities for um, disrupting climate change and sustainable energy. Kind of the Green New Deal, if you will, what's been termed that. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess uh, part of that um, re-joined uh, the Paris Accords. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, and see, we're, we're, we're getting take, the idea. Take away all the all the bad things he's done uh, in energy and um, take it back to uh, Obama era and then invest in additional uh, remediation. 
Okay. I'm going to do one, and I, and I once again, I love both of y'all. Actually, I thought about those two exact ones, but kind of knew that y'all might go there, so I wanted to come up with something different. And I will say this. Since we're going to wa- – and in this deal, I'm sure we'd waste billions you know, of dollars. And, of course, with spending projects like construction projects, you end up you know, way going over your price tag. So I thought, well, let me think of something that really wouldn't cost any money, but it would be something that we really, really want. And I said, what if Republicans – and, of course, you'd have to have it all the way down to the state level since this is just conjecture – it's open, free elections where um, there's no gerrymandered districts that are heavily favoring Republicans. Your um, no voter ID laws. You know, you have the same day voter registration. You have plenty of um, Saturday and Sunday early voting. Uh, I mean, you really uh, possibly even like Michigan, your home state, Catherine, make that Tuesday a holiday. I mean, we really vote on a on a level playing field where everybody that wants to vote can vote, and then we have elections that truly reflect the America and then who's interested in which direction we have without all these rules over the course of the past seemingly 10 really intensive years where they've restricted the vote. And then, of course, we would take massive control over every level of government, and we could probably then just not fund the rest of the wall, but that would be fine. Um, so... What do y'all think on those three things, Tim? Well, what I'm sitting here thinking is what we are all advocating, of course, is not going to happen. It's, I mean, it would be wonderful if it did, but it's just no way it's going to happen. It, none of it. The only way that all that's going to happen is we take over everything. Hey, these people talk about, oh, y'all can get along with the, oh, no, we can't. We can't, we, we can't, we can't. There, there, the, the, there, there are no moderates anymore, we can't. There, there, there's no way, there's no middle to meet in anymore. Uh, no. And, and I'm, I'm not going there with some of that junk they had to keep. Uh, I'm, I'm for saying just hell no to this wall, because it's absurd. That's what I am, too. I agree. As much as I would want, say, a single-payer health care system, number one, I know the Republicans would never agree to it. Number two, Trump's own people would crucify him if he did. And, and number three, I'm just adamant about one thing, that no wall. No wall. No talk yeah. about it. And no I don't wall. remember That's when he... The yeah, and when he took control, that was one of the set things I said ought to be a major goal of the Democratic Party. Don't let one brick get built to this thing because it's the kind of thing, since it's physical, it's harder to undo. You know, like when he took us out of the Paris Accords, as soon as we get a Democratic president, the next day we can, um, in January after inauguration, we can rejoin you know, climate talks. We can undo a lot of things pretty quickly once we take, we take control. But once you start building something, then it gets to be, well, we spent some money on it. You know, we, do we want to waste that billion dollars? And, and so it's harder to undo. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just – it's one of those conjecture things. And once again, it ain't going to happen. Um, one little other crazy thing related to all this wall talk, 
Did y'all see the story where the um, lawmakers, state lawmakers in West Virginia, um, wanted to spend state budget money to help build the wall along the Mexican border? And I guess that would either be putting bricks in New Mexico, Arizona, California, or Texas. Um, I always heard that West Virginia, Catherine, was a state that didn't have a lot of money. Um, What's going on there? Give me a quick thought. That is crazy. If I was a resident of Virginia, I would be outraged because you're right. I mean, they have all kinds of problems in West Virginia that, that need money and need to be addressed. And for them to suggest that they have any kind of significant extra money to send to another, well, to, to the federal government for use in another state is just crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I don't know if any of our 50 states are that well off that they can just spend state dollars going to other states uh, for nonsense projects. Well, let me go ahead and welcome in our guest again to the Kudzu Vine from Daily Coast. Welcome, Kelly Masias. Hi, all. Thanks for having me. Yeah, hey, it's Kelly. good to have you on. Thanks. It's great to be back. Yes. Well, Kelly, I want to go ahead, and we're going to start off with questions about one, probably one of your favorite, if not your favorite politician, you'll have to tell us, uh, Stacey Abrams here of Georgia. Um, we're going to start off some questions there, but I'm going to let Catherine uh, ask the first questions. Catherine? Hey, Kelly. Thanks for being on with us tonight, especially on a, you know important holiday weekend. Um so Stacey Abrams is doing a state tour of Georgia, as I'm sure you know, and sort of a thank you tour is how she's uh, naming it. And um, there's been a lot of, you know, discussion, you know, at the water cooler and on the radio everywhere about what her next move is. Do you have any insight or thoughts about what she might, whether whether she's going to wait to run for governor again or run for Senate or do something else? Do you have any Uh, thoughts or insight on that? Well, of course I have thoughts about it, and I will say that you are absolutely (laughs) right. She is my favorite politician. She's my favorite subject at this point. Um, So, yeah, Stacey um, has said that she's giving herself until the end of March to make a decision about whether she's going to run either for governor in 2022 or for Senate in 2020. Um, My guess is that she's going to run. There's an incredible amount of energy um, and enthusiasm about her. You know, as you all know, she got the most votes um, that a Democrat has ever gotten in the state of Georgia. Um, And so I think she's actually going, not going to wait to run for governor again. I think she's going to throw her hat in the ring um, in the Senate race in 2020. Purdue even though, uh, like the recent AJC, I don't know if it was an AJC poll, but it was covered in the AJC, so that he is a little has a little bit better, um, whatever you want, you know, fate. he's more uh, liked than uh, like Kemp or Trump in Georgia, but I also think he's pretty. I've always thought he was pretty weak. We could talk about that for hours, but um, uh, what, what do you think? Her? How do you think that lines up with? what's happening in Georgia and uh, David Perdue's, uh, you know, record or, or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. I saw the AGC poll, and then they also did another one comparing her to Kemp, and she's actually more popular than Kemp at the moment. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But but she, you know, I, I think that she has a lot of support both inside and outside of the state. Um, earlier this month, she was here in Washington meeting with Chuck Schumer, who's looked actively looking to recruit someone to run against Purdue. Um, I think the energy is there. Um, And I think voters come out for her. You know, she's been able to raise a tremendous amount of money um, since uh, uh, leaving the race, although we know she didn't actually concede, but, you know, um, since since the race ended. And so I I actually believe that she has a good shot as long as the Republicans um, don't continue to suppress the vote, which, you know, Democrats, that's an issue that Democrats are really going to have to actively take up this year. But I think that she, she, she of all people and of all Democrats, I think is somebody who could turn out the vote. I agree completely. I think she has a, you know, she, she's very well respected. Um, And like you said, her, her um, favorables are higher than Purdue's, which I thought was interesting. I thought that poll was kind of interesting. Basically, you know, she's more popular than Purdue. If only all those people who liked her had voted, we probably would be in a different scenario. That's what it sounded like because they they vote they polled some people who hadn't voted. It sounded like from from the way they described the numbers. But um, well, thank you very much. I'm going to pass it back to David for the next question. Thanks for being on, and I I I hope to see you out on the trail when she's running for for uh, Senate? Well, you know, I was there when she was running uh, for governor, and I can promise you I'll be there if she runs for Senate. Okay. Yeah, well, um, okay, uh, Kelly, my next question will be, and, and I, I agree, I think she, absolutely she needs to run for Senate because she has more of the control of destiny two years out than four years out. Also, um it's probably going to be a better political climate for Democrats. Possibly, um, four years will be. I mean, that's we still got to have the one in between to see if that's the case. But if, if Democrats take control of the places, then they're in the majority in a lot of places, and it, it makes it trickier. So my my question is: she runs for Senate. Um, she's going to obviously do a lot of what she did before. You know, try to win Gwinnett County and Cobb County and these big counties, and turn out more vote in Clayton and DeKalb and and um, uh, Fulton, but what do you think she needs or can do to help herself in more rural areas of the state? And I don't mean um, counties like Towns County where it's, you know, 98% uh, white and um, she's probably never going to win that many votes. But I'm talking about counties in South Georgia that do have larger populations of color, and then she still didn't do quite as well in those rural areas. Yeah, I think it's a good question. So to your earlier point, I agree with you, David, that um, she has more control in the next two years than she does in four years, and I think her name will still be relevant. So I think that's that's another reason for her to run now as opposed to um, in four years. Um, you know, if we remember when she ran in the primary against Stacey Evans, she won almost every single county, right, in the Democratic primary. So I think that there is potential there for her to pick up votes. Um, I think she would just have to continue to to do the campaigning in those areas that you spoke about in the rural areas. Um, we can't forget that, you know, there are rural counties in Georgia, of course, that have communities of color um, that will work in her favor. And I, I actually believe that, you know, she, she, you know, her her strategy was certainly to 
put together a progressive coalition of, of people of color, of young people, of women. Um, but she also won progressive whites. And I think that, you know, in the next year or so, kind of continuing to build that infrastructure, I think she can actually make some inroads in those communities, especially if she starts now. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't rule out some of those rural counties going for her, but I think she has to, you know, continue to do that legwork. Um, but I think she had a great strategy. It's always been, you know, since election day, I was, I was in um, Macon and in Atlanta um, for the election. I actually believe that she won. I think that voter suppression and gerrymandering were the factors um, that are the reason that she's not in the governor's mansion now. Um, so I, I actually do believe that she has a real shot um, if she continues to really push and continue to speak to voters across the state um, in, in various counties over the next year or so. Yes, and um, also um, David Perdue being an incumbent, but he's somebody that's so tied to Donald Trump, he hadn't really moved um, – towards the middle at all. I mean, he's doubled down on Donald Trump. Do you think that will um, work in, in Stacey Abrams' favor, and how can she kind of use that to her advantage? What's interesting for me, David, is that um, the shutdown, I, I think that the longer that the shutdown goes on, I think Donald Trump is going to lose ground. I, I, I know that um, his base is, is with him. They're sort of always with him, and Republicans tend to fall in lockstep with him. But, you know, we, we have to acknowledge that um, I think it's, it's – I heard the number yesterday, and it was something like 80% of the federal workforce is actually not in Washington, right? So that means that there are federal workers in Georgia when we think about the TSA and sort of all of those um, really important uh, jobs and agencies. And I think that the longer the shutdown goes on, I think that Donald Trump doubling down on the wall is going to become unpopular for Americans um, even those who support him. So I wonder if that has a has some kind of political um, potential for her. Uh, she was out actually this weekend, I think, delivering food and such to TSA workers at the Atlanta airport. So I actually think some of these things, again, are about her sort of getting her message out there and continuing to do that. But I think some of it also will be that I, I'm not sure that I believe that Donald Trump will continue um, the level of popularity that he has with voters. You know, it's one thing to demand a wall when, when you know, people think the economy is good and everything is fine, but as people continue to lose services and lose money, um, you all were talking earlier that he, he seems to not be aware that there are real people who are going without paychecks right now. Um, and it's not just federal workers. It's all the people who, you know, make money um, providing services to federal workers, um, so that has a ripple effect, and I think that people will continue to feel it the longer that it goes on, that I think that he might actually lose some popularity. And I think that that actually will have a trickle-down effect even for Purdue um, going into the into the race for 2020. Yes. Well, and that was a good point you made about TSA. That kind of is federal in nature, and that kind of may um, lend more to the idea that she does run for federal office. I'm going to go ahead and pass it to Tim. If he wants to ask anything else about Georgia and Stacey Abrams, he's welcome. But if he wants to transition the conversation, he may do that. Tim? Good evening, Kelly. Thank you for being with us again. And uh, David did have it right. I would like to transition and move up to our nation's capital. Uh, Forty-two freshman women have now joined the Congress, but – 
only four of them are Republicans. So I, I've got to ask, why the massive disparity? Why do Republicans not elect women? And is there simply a gender bias in that party? <laughs> well, I think to some extent you'd have to ask a Republican, Tim, and I'm not one. So I can only <laughs> answer <laughs> From my from my own perspective, but I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, the the party has increasingly, um, you know, it's never been a message that has appealed to me. But I, I that the idea was that you know it was a party of of a moral center. You know, it was a party of um, uh, individuals and kind of small business and and um, you know really. Um, uh, all of these sorts of things that I think probably were not happening in practice, but that I think sounded really good, right? Economic prosperity, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and now we know they're just the party of Trump. And if we ask ourselves, what does Donald mm-hmm. Trump stand for? He stands for bigotry, misogyny. I mean, sort of all of these really hateful retrograde things that the, the country is not with him on. And so I think that's why it's been really easy um, for Democrats to then go very broadly with a message of, of equality, a message of social justice, a message of feminism um, that has really resonated with people. You know, um, uh, yesterday was the Women's March um, here in Washington and in other cities around the country, um, and people are, are tired of, of the status quo, and Republicans just haven't caught up yet to where people are. So um, it doesn't surprise me at all that that so few of the women um, that came into this freshman class in Congress were women on their side. They, they um, are not actively cultivating anything other than, you know, the same old, same old, and that's just not working for the American people anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, one of our rising stars among this freshman class is a representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Many on the right, have tried to portray her, for lack of a better word, as the, quote, face of a Democratic Party out of touch. Don't you – I think that's a massive mistake, don't you? I think, it, I think it's a massive mistake, and I think that they're grossly underestimating her appeal. You know, she mm-hmm. – um, she is wildly popular, especially with young people. You all were talking about the Green New Deal earlier. Um, she has a lot of Democratic support around the Green New Deal. Um, she does things differently, and I think that that's shaking up the status quo, and I think that that frightens people across the board, but it particularly frightens Republicans. Um, and they're, frankly, I've written about this a few times, they're obsessed with her in a way that is um, – disturbing um, and uh, says a lot about, I think, the the potential um, and the power that she has. So I think they're massively underestimating what she can do and what, you know, she, I don't know if you all saw last week, she was, you know, sort of roaming the halls of the Senate asking, where's Mitch McConnell, right? Where is oh, that he? Was, that was brilliant. Absolutely right, right. Brilliant. Absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant, right? So, so you know, as, as the shutdown is going on, as all these Hundreds of thousands of people are going without, you know, paychecks. Um, she's asking, like, where's Mitch? You know, he's supposed to be negotiating a deal, and he's not. Um, and so I think that I think they're terrified of her, and it shows. But I also think that she's not at all out of touch 
um, with uh, with where the American people are, most of the things that she's talking about, people absolutely support. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of changing the conversation in Washington, uh, do you feel that the issue of health care will be front and center now? Because it seemed that it was very instrumental in propelling a lot of these women around the country to victories in their districts and states. Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Um, I do. I, you know, it's funny. I um, I uh, recently uh, wrote about um, black voters. Black PAC did a survey coming out of the midterms about what black voters said brought them to the polls, and it was those kinds of issues. I mean, overwhelmingly, um, their data found that black voters were really um, thinking about. Um, uh, bigotry and racism because it's so present. Um, but but aside from that, the message that they wanted to convey, I think, to lawmakers is around things like healthcare and education and and sort of all of those really important things. So I I do think that healthcare is all, always critically important to people. It will continue to be so. I think women, um, for all sorts of reasons, um, have a really vested interest in it, which is why it's really helpful for Democratic women to run on it. Um, and I think it will continue to be. Remember the Republicans. Um, I've lost count at this point of how many times they've tried to vote to repeal Obamacare. It's got to <laughs> be at least 40 by now, right? Um, oh, in the last, it's okay. So it's it's more than 40, right? But even in the first two years of Trump's presidency, they were constantly voting, and every time it got shut down. Um, and so I think they're going to continue to do that, and I think Democrats are going to continue to push back. And what's great about where we are right now is that we have a Democratic House that is pretty much the only thing that's serving as a check on this presidency at the moment. All right. And with that, I'm going to send it back over to Catherine because I'm sure she's got a million other questions about what's going on in Washington and all that. Go ahead, Catherine. Actually, I was going to I would say send it back to David. Okay, David. All right. We're a little confused well, here. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's okay. We we kind of tricked it up to make sure we kind of had a, a an even distribution of questions. Um, Kelly, I know that there's more uh, exciting new members of Congress than uh, Representative Astacia Cortez, who has gotten a lot of attention. Tell us about just a few of the other faces throughout the country. Yeah, there's two women that I really want to uh, bring attention to because they are also really poised to do uh, amazing things in this Congress. So one is Ayanna Presley, uh, a Democrat from Massachusetts, who is the first um, black woman to represent the state in Congress. Um, and Ayanna Presley, along with uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, is on the House Financial Services Committee. So it's a committee that probably Americans don't talk about very often, but it's, it's a big deal because that's the committee that provides oversight site for real estate and Wall Street and the insurance um, industry, to name a few things. Um, and, and that committee, actually, uh, Maxine Waters just became the head of that committee. Um, so Ayanna Presley has talked about uh, her role on that committee and really wanting to, um, you know, look at Wall Street, look at student loan debt. Um, she set Ben Carson in her sights uh, as a member of that committee, um, specifically around public housing and how, you know, under uh, Ben Carson, the housing and urban development agency has just kind of fallen apart. So she's somebody I think we need to be watching. 
Um, the other uh, representative I think that we should be watching right now is Lucy McBath. Um, you re- may remember uh, she's a Democrat um, from Georgia also. Um, and, and Lucy um, uh, really became active in politics after her son Jordan Davis was killed um, several years ago in Florida. Um, and so she's a, she's a uh, gun control activist. She was recently appointed to the Judiciary, Education, and Labor Committee, um, but she also co-sponsored a bill um, uh, last week um, that proposed new gun control legislation. So all of these women, um, women of color in particular, who are in this freshman class, I think are, you know, have personal experience with these issues, really care about issues that Americans care about and say we care about and want something done about, and I think they're really well positioned to do something about. So I would say that in addition to AOC, we need to be looking at uh, Ayanna Presley, Lucy McBath, um, and I would also say Rashida Tlaib, who, um, you know, the Democrat from Michigan, who we know said she wanted to impeach Donald Trump. She was very clear about that. She used some colorful language to talk about it, um, and so she's <laughs> another one I think we need to be watching, too. Yes, and um, I don't know if you saw, but the AJC reported um, just a little bit before we went on the show that a state senator from Georgia, Brandon Beach, has announced he's going to run for the 6th District race, which if they're going to continue to keep those lines like they are, that's probably not going to be a great target, although I think there's thoughts that the Republicans in Georgia have known to re-redistrict more than once in, in between census. And that could change the district lines possibly. So um, that'll be interesting to see what happens there. But um, that's good that Representative McBath hit the ground running and proposed legislation that's so near and dear to her heart. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I when I was in Georgia for uh, the elections, I got to talk to her. Um, she's she's wonderful. She's passionate. I think she's going to do great things. Um, you know, of all people, there's a lot of part of what Donald Trump rode to Washington on was this idea that he wasn't a career politician. Um, And so neither is she, right? She has this very real lived experience that she brings with her that I think is going to really benefit not just the people of her district, um, but Americans as a whole. Yes. Well, Kelly, thanks for coming on the show and bringing us such good insight um, about people from around the country. And then also an outsider's perspective about, what's going on in our very state, and I think that kind of helps us understand um, how Stacey Abrams is being perceived around the country. Yeah, thank you for having me. Like I said, if she gets back on the campaign trail, I'm there, so you all will see me soon. (laughs) All right. All right, look forward (laughs) to it. Thank you. Great, thank Thank you. you very much. Thanks again. That was Kelly Masius of Daily Coes. If you just go on to Daily Coes, Kelly posts very, very often. I'm sure you can look up her user blog, also um, active on other social media sources and whatnot. Um, well, think, uh, Catherine, I believe you referenced the Georgia Poll. Tim, you may have as well um, earlier in the show about uh, this poll that came out kind of as Brian Kemp was um, inaugurated into office, and the numbers, considering that he is just taken office, usually a new politician gets up what's called a honeymoon period, does not seem to be much of a honeymoon period uh, given the numbers in this poll. Um, 
Tim, what are some numbers that you found more striking? Well, one thing, it, it seems to me that Kemp's uh, approval rating is mirroring that of Donald Trump's. As a matter of fact, they have exactly the same approval rating at uh, 37%, although Donald Trump's uh, disapproval rating <coughs> is uh, much higher um, at uh, 55%. Another thing that really just jumped right out at me, all of a sudden, uh, Obamacare is uh, very popular all over the country, isn't it? It has uh, uh, 52% approval in this state and only uh, 36% disapproval. That's a that's a, cry, a far cry from uh, repeal it, isn't it, guys? Uh, when a state like Georgia's is saying that, uh, and and when they say at the voting box what they said last November, I think they'd better listen to that, don't you? Oh, one more thing I want to mention. One more thing, and that's they ask, are are people satisfied? with things as they are in this state, and 60% said, yeah, and 37% said, no. But then they ask, are you satisfied with how things are going on in the country? And 31% said, yes, and 65% said, no, they're not. Now, now, what is that? Is that one of those deals where, well, I love my own place, but I hate everywhere else? Or... Is it a group of people saying that they have more faith in state and local leaders than they do federal? What do you think? I think I think it's the second. I mean, I think, and, and as the time this poll was taken, Nathan Dill was the governor, and I would think you could take people that are, unless it's the hardcore Trumpers, um, even the, the middle-of-the-road Republicans and all the Democrats, we would probably all take Nathan Dill every time over Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That, that's a pretty easy one. Now, now I want to ask y'all, I want to ask Catherine this question. Um, I noticed that Brian Kemp, like Tim said, he starts out pretty even with Donald Trump. But David Perdue, who's been far closer aligned with um, Donald Trump than Brian Kemp even was, he has a 45% uh, favorable rating, 30 unfavorable, um, still not as good as Nathan D- uh, Deal. Uh, not as good as Stacey Abrams, in fact. But, Catherine, why do you think that David Perdue is um, – I'm going to try to do my math here – eight points more popular with the favorability ratings than um, Brian Kemp? Well, I suspect that part of it is that uh, we don't hear from him all that much. Yeah. And Kemp is in the news a lot lately, of course. And um, to – favor their um, whoever is elected unless they do something really crazy. So, um, or if they're, you know, thought to be mean or un, or, or, or uh, cranky. Um, but, you know, produce just sort of vanilla. But, I mean, he's very much in the um, Trump camp, but he's not very um, – He's not very charismatic or, um, you know, he doesn't have, like, a great delivery of policy or anything. He's just sort of a, a 
boring. And so I think that's why he's probably thought of more favorably than Kemp, who's very volatile and has been, uh, again, he's also gotten a lot more attention lately. That would be my estimation. Yeah. Now I will say this. I don't think most people will know this then. You talked about being mean or cranky. Um, I believe it was twice, and I know it was one time it was videoed oh, where he right, knocked the, the kid's thing. cell phone yeah. out of his hand. And you know that's going to get played over and over to where, you know, 80% of Georgians know exactly about that incident um, if anybody has any money. Because, I mean, if Colin, the uh, fellow that was filming uh, back in Virginia a good decade ago, calling that guy Makaka was bad and pretty much helped Jim Webb defeat George Allen. Knocking a phone out of a kid's hand that was doing, you know, nothing that much in your face, to me that's not going to play well. Um, but maybe oh, that's yeah, a I sign that, that hadn't really pushed out there enough. I mean, it's not just right there in everybody's uh, face. Uh, Tim, what do you think? Well, yeah, I, I see your point there, but I think one major difference in those two men is how they both got elected and how it was perceived by the voters in each case. I mean, as far as we know, David Perdue got elected legitimately in the eyes of all the voters. And the campaign was, well, it wasn't just spotless, but it was clean enough and la di da da Kemp, on the other hand, introduces his campaign blowing things up, pointing things at people. Yeah. There's talk of voter suppression, of which he uh, was, in, was in charge of, and then just how brutally, painfully close this thing was. And it really did leave a question in the minds of the voters. Is it, did he even legitimately win uh, the race? to the point that a fourth of the people that voted for him don't even approve of him right now yeah. as he becomes the governor. So I, I think the way they each uh, ascended to where they are had a lot to do with this. The, the thing is, the difference there, though, is that Kemp has a record he can still make and change this narrative. Purdue has cast his lot with Donald Trump. Uh, that one's going to hang heavy around his neck. Good luck to him. So, Yes. Well, another question on this poll um, is, is Stacey Abrams has a 51% favorable rating, um, 40% unfavorable. That is plus 11. Um, only Nathan Deal uh, fared better. Um, of anybody in the Eskimo poll, and that includes national figures like Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi, uh, for some context. Um, you know, after she did not, you know, force a runoff, uh, she kept pushing to count all the votes, and some people are worried that that might hurt her image with voters. Catherine, according to this poll, it hasn't. Um, why do you think that? How do you think that happened to where she was able to continue to push? to make sure all the votes were counted, kind of like Al Gore in 2000, but then not get any um, negative blowback. Oh, I think people loved it. She was, I think that her message of count every vote was um, really resonated with people. It wasn't so much about, 
I mean, the way it was messaged, it was much more about I'm here to make sure your vote gets counted more than I'm here to make sure I win. So I think that messaging was was very powerful to people all over the state, Republicans and Democrats, you know, maybe not the far, you know, uh, big old Trump supporters or Kemp supporters, but I think everyone wants to think that their vote's getting counted. And we, and, and in that process, it was revealed that there seem to be a lot of votes that aren't getting counted. So I think that, that that helped her to have a, uh, to come out of that with a positive, uh, with, with a positive impact. Yeah, Tim. She's over fifty-one percent, or fifty-one percent approval rating, or favorable rating, I should say, in this poll. How does she either maintain that or build on that um, for a twenty twenty race for U.S. Senate? Well, the first thing you have to do is stay relevant. The voters uh, don't have long memories, and if you stay. Uh, out of the news, then you're not going to be in the news, and the voters are going to forget who you are. A perfect example is Phil Bredesen, one of the finest governors that the state of Tennessee ever had, but he had been out of office a while. The voters had forgotten about him. The state had changed some, and, uh, you know, he, he lost pretty easy in a race we thought he could have won. The same thing could happen to her. Uh, that's why a lot of people, you know, David, uh, are thinking, including you, uh, that the thing for her to do is to run for the U.S. Senate and not wait for the governor's race in 2022. Um, there might be some merit to that because, uh, if she announces pretty soon that she's going to run for the U.S. Senate, she's darn right she's going to stay in the news, and that'll take care of that. Relevance is everything. Free airtime is everything. And keeping your face out there uh, in front of the voters and their minds on you is everything. So that's that's what yeah. I think she's got to do, stay relevant. Yeah, and I think the, the fact that when Kelly said she went out to the airport gave um food to tsa workers i mean that's very um you know federally targeted uh smart thing to do mm-hmm. um well i want to get into some of the issue polling in here and if we know one thing recently republican legislative members not necessarily the nathan deal deals of the world not the casey cagles but a lot of the legislature legislators they love guns guns and more guns and they <laughs> asked two questions in this poll about guns and one was, should the Georgia legislature allow gun carry gun owners to carry concealed weapons without a permit? Yes, fifteen percent. No, eighty-two <laughs> um, percent. That, that legislature up in uh, legislator up back up in Raven County in um, Northeast Georgia, his bill would go nowhere. Uh, and I, like I said, it probably wouldn't be his bill, but it could be somebody else's bill. But then there's another one. It said, should the Georgia legislature increase the age, purchase an assault weapon from 18 to 21? Yes, 78%. No, 19%. I mean, these are in no way reflect who the Republican Party drives their primary campaigns towards. I'm not saying that's who the Republican Party is, but who they campaign towards, looking at Brian Kemp's shotgun rocking chair ad, um, these numbers show a very different Georgia, don't they, Catherine? They do, but I don't think it's uh, 
I don't think it's necessarily uh, fair to say that because of those poll numbers, those bills aren't going anywhere. Because the people right. who are polled are not the ones who are in the legislature voting on it. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I should say not go anywhere. I'm talking about it's not going where the population, but the populace may not want it, which, of course, okay. I think but, the but, numbers on campus carry were not very good either, and you know, we saw what happened there. Right, yeah, yeah. so I don't think uh, – I, I mean, I don't, I don't put anything past this legislature. I, <laughs> it would not surprise me if they delivered that bill, either of those bills. Yeah, yeah, David, their first no, fear is not their first fear, especially a lot of these legislators in rural districts. Their first fear is not of the voters. Uh, I would think a lot of the voters in their districts would uh, would agree with them if, if they go and pass pro-gun legislation. Their first fear is of the National Rifle Association and what it can bring to bear against them, not in a general election, but in a primary election where they could be pushed right out of their jobs. So, yeah, and and, and we also got to remember another thing. We don't have Nathan Deal in office anymore. We got Brian Kemp, who has signaled strongly that he would uh, look favorably on a lot of uh, pro-gun legislation. Uh, So, you know, Catherine's right. They're not they're not thinking about the the voters in the state legislature. They will. uh, I I think they're going to pass some pro-gun stuff. I don't know if it's going to be these couple of items, but I think they're going to. they're going to dangle some carrots out there for the gun lobby. So Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and it is going to be interesting to see how Brian Kemp chooses to govern because I, if you saw where he went from the primary, where he went to the general, I think he realizes doing more like the Nathan Deal um, is going to give him a better chance of career longevity. But then he may have pigeonholed himself so far, you know, so tight in in that primary campaign to defeat Casey Cagle. Um, so it's going to be interesting what it, you know how he kind of expands out, and if he can, uh, it may be impossible for him to. I mean, maybe he doesn't really want to. It's it's hard to know after what he did for the um, first part of 2018, um, running all those primary ads. We shall mm-hmm. see. Yeah. Well, I guess it's about 8 o'clock, so that's the kudzu frying for night. Good night. Good night, y'all. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity?